0: Good morning. How's it going? Wow, there's real people in the seats. Holy cow. Man, I'm so excited to be with you guys this morning. like John said, I'm Pastor Lauren or Pastor Lowe uh, and I have the dream job. so I serve on staff for children and youth and it actually is my dream job. I don't think I get to tell you guys that enough. Uh, I'm living the dream job. I love what I get to do and I feel so privileged this morning to open the Word of God with you and uh, to jump back into resurgence. And so like he was saying, Uh, we've been in a series called Resurgence. So if you're like, oh man, I haven't been here for a while, don't worry, you'll be able to jump right in. It's not a big deal. But we um, have been studying the book of Acts since September. Uh, And so we've called this series Resurgence with this tagline. It's revisiting the past to take hold of the future. And so we're studying the book of Acts. We're studying the beginning of the church, the capital C church. We're studying the beginning of Christianity. We're studying where we get our name, Antioch, from we're studying all these things, we're revisiting the past to take hold of the future. So to get an action step, to glean from that and think, what is it that I can learn from what was going on at the beginnings of who we are and how can I transla- translate that into my everyday life? And so that's what we're jumping into today. Here's the thing that I think is really important though, and this is what I tell my youth and my students often, is that when we open the scripture, we always need to be asking the question, why does this matter? Why does this matter? If you think about the fact that this book has existed forever, it feels like, right? Forever and ever, it's been meticulously translated from different languages, word by word, it feels like comma by comma, punctuation mark by punctuation mark. We believe it is inspired. We believe it is God breathed. And so when we have to, when we open the Bible, we have to ask the question, why does this matter? Why was it important enough for it to land in a book that we get to read all of the time? And so we're gonna ask that question today. We're gonna ask the question, why does it matter in general? And then why does it matter to me as a follower of Jesus, as um, someone who's chasing after his heart? When I read this, when I open my Bible in the morning and I read this, I ask the question, why does this matter to me? So that's what we're gonna to do today. I always like to know, I don't know about you guys, but when I go to a conference or even Sunday morning church, I like to know where we're going. Anybody else feel me on that one? I'm a very vocal per- preacher, speaker, person. So if you wanna like, yeah, me too, Lo. That's okay. Uh, I always wanna know where we're going. And so here's where we're going today is I'm gonna read the passage that we're in. I'm gonna kind of break it down and give you some historical, cultural context. And then I'm gonna give you a couple of reasons of why, why I believe it matters to us today. Does that sound good? Fantastic. Look at you guys are already learning so well. Fantastic. So we are in Acts chapter 17, if you want to turn to your Bibles. I'm going to read verses 1 through 15. I'm reading out of NIV this morning. You can read out of whatever you want. It's up to you. So it says this, actually, hold on, before we start, please remember a couple weeks ago when Pastor John was preaching out of Acts chapter 16. Here's where we left off. It's important to be like, we're not just picking up in 17. Beforehand, Paul and Silas were just brutally beaten, thrown into jail. An earthquake released them from jail. They saved the guard that was taking care of them. And now we pick up where we left off. Sound good? You tracking with me? Fantastic. So it says, When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So we see that he just got out of jail. Remember I told you that? He's gone to the next city. He goes into Thessalonica, and the first thing he does is he goes straight to the synagogue, and he starts reasoning with them about why Jesus is who Jesus is. And as a result, a bunch of people came to know Jesus. Praise the Lord, right? Yeah, come on. So then verse 5, it says, but other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Can we just pause for a minute? Because this is how I read the Bible. I read that, and I see mob, and even though I know it means like a mob of people, I picture the mob. And so it's funny, because I'm reading this, and I'm like, the mob is coming after Paul and Silas. And I'm like, wait a minute, okay, wait, hold on. No, wait a minute. These men were wearing sandals. (laughs) These men were wearing sandals, they're mobbing, they're rioting. Then I immediately think, okay, where was the last time I saw like, a mob of people? I'm like, Disneyland. So then I picture a bunch of people at Disneyland with sandals, like, chasing after Paul, and it's just really funny to me. So I don't know if you guys get images like that, but I always have to correct the image in my brain to make, stories, like, make sure it's historically accurate. So they're wearing sandals, not suits and sunglasses. Anyway, maybe you don't think like me, that's okay. So I formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others postpone and let them go. So the sandaled men, they're getting really upset. They're so upset that Paul and Silas are talking about Jesus as the Messiah. That doesn't line up with what they understand. And so they start raging and rioting and mobbing in the city, and they're calling the city officials. They say, come take care of these men. They're turning the world upside down. They're causing a riot. Get them out of here. They can't find Paul and Silas, so they find his host, poor Jason, right? Poor Jason is just like the guy who's like, I'll give my bed in my house. Now he's getting dragged out to the middle of the city. Now they're telling him he has to post bond. When you study the scripture, you realize the officials didn't even super care about what was being said. They just didn't want riots in the city. So they're like, post bond, get this guy out of here. We're just frustrated with what's going on. Just if you would keep quiet, that'd be really nice, is what the city officials are doing. So the men in the sandals are like, that's right, we got him. And Jason is posting bond and you're like, all right. So we pick up in verse 10 and it says this. It says, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So in the middle of the night, Paul and Silas are like, we gotta get out of here. The sandaled men are after us. We gotta get out of here. So they flee in the middle of the night and onto the next city, and here's what I love about it. They go right back into what they were doing in the last city, they go right back to the synagogue, and this time they're a little bit more well-received. And again, people come to know Jesus. They come to know Christ. It's amazing. It says, but when the Jews in Thessalonica read the sandaled men, when the sandaled men learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So man, those sandaled men, they just won't quit, will they? They heard that in the next town over, and I always think about this because I think about how our towns are close to each other. I know that it was way different back then, but I think about that they would have had to pack up their things and walk to the next town because they were so agitated at Paul and Silas. They remember they were like, yeah, we got them. They left in the middle of the night and then a few weeks go by and they're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's doing the same thing in the town over. So they go over there, they stir up some trouble, and now Paul goes off by himself. And I I just picture Silas and Timothy like crouching in a house just watching the sandaled men go by. Like, Paul's not here, bro. You're not gonna find him. So I read this passage, and like I said, we're in this series called Resurgence. And so if the whole point of the series is to read that and then say, okay, how can I take hold of the future with that information I just read? How can I take hold of the future? When I think of to take hold of the future, I think it sounds like an action. Does it sound like an action to you? It sounds like an action step to me. So I'm reading this, I'm looking back at the beginnings of church and Christianity and all of who we are and I think, all right, why does this matter to me and how can I turn that into an action step? So I've come up with three reasons why I think this should matter to us today. Does that sound good? Oh, you're so responsive, I love this. So the first one is this. The reason why I think this matters to us is because Paul is a doer of the word. In fact, he's not just a doer of the word. He is a phenomenal example of what it looks like to be a doer of the word. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so if the whole goal is to be a hearer and then a doer, when I look at this passage and I think, why does this matter to me? I think, what a great example of what I'm supposed to be a doer of the word. Paul is a phenomenal example of that, and here's why. Verse two says, as was his custom. It was Paul's custom to go to where the confused people who didn't totally understand Jesus the Messiah, to where potentially the non-believers were in the city. It was his custom. Scripture records it that it was just what he did. He got to a new city, and what did he do? He went right to where the confused and the non-believers were and he spent time with them, and he reasoned with them. When I look at this, and I look at Paul as an example, and I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to pull from this, I think, oh man, I want it to be my custom that I chase after the non-believers and those who are confused, and I spend time with them. For three Sabbath days, he reasoned. That's weeks, people. He didn't just come in and be like, this is the good news, mic drop, I'm out. Right, I mean, it's good news, so you could mic drop it, It's great. I don't know if you know about this, but we believe in good news. Jesus dying on the cross for our sins is good news. I'm skipping ahead of myself. But man, he could come in and he could just say, Jesus, boom. And then he could leave. He could go on to the next town. It could be his custom to walk into every town and be like, Jesus, boom. But he doesn't do that because he's a doer of the word. And we all know that sometimes it's not just helpful if someone just says, Jesus, when you're walking through a problem. When you're dealing with something in scripture that doesn't make sense, you're like, I don't, I get Jesus. Yes, good news. But like, help me. And Paul is a phenomenal example because he goes in and he, and he helps them. He's proving it to them. He's spending time with them. He's studying it daily with them. He doesn't just walk in and walk out, he does time with people who don't understand and who don't believe. Man, if I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about what it looks like for me today, I want to be someone who it's my custom to not just go in and be like, Jesus. I've saved you all today, Jesus, you're welcome. But instead, I would walk in and I would listen to people, that I would hear what they're struggling with, that I would dare to reason scripture with them, that I would sit with them for multiple days, that I would not have a drop-the-mic mentality when it comes to being a doer of the word. That's why Paul's a phenomenal example. Another reason is because he doesn't let anything stop him. Let, just let's go back to 16 for a minute. The man was brutally beaten and thrown into jail. Then an earthquake released his shackles. An earthquake! Hi, I'm from Arizona, so I've been in like one earthquake. And it was really like not a big deal, so I was like, is this is what you guys all freak out about all the time? An earthquake that was so strong, it released the shackles of him and everyone else in the prison. I've never experienced an earthquake like that. I don't want to unless it's from Jesus. It released their shackles and then, they had the wherewithal to say we're gonna stay here because the guard immediately was like, I had one job. I had one job and an earthquake ruined my job. The guard goes to kill himself. Paul says, wait a minute, I'm still here. Chillax, calm down, I'm still here. The guard comes to know Jesus. The, card, the guard brings Paul and Silas into his home. The whole home comes to know Jesus. Then he picks up his stuff and he walks to the next town and he does it again. I'm telling you right now, if I got thrown in jail for the sake of the gospel, it would take me at least a day before I was walking to the next town like, throw me in jail again. I feel like that's his demeanor. He's like, all right, let's go. What do you got for me Thessalonica? Like they threw me in prison in the last one. What do you got? Oh, a mob? Okay. Oh, okay, (laughs) prison at the last one. Oh, a mob today? I got this. He doesn't let anything stop him. I don't know about you, but I don't face earthquakes and mobs when it comes to persecution for the gospel. I get a lot of naysayers. I get a lot of people with their shoulders turned to me, or I don't want to talk to you about that. I was talking to a girl the other day, and she was like, oh, you work at a church? Cool. And I was like, oh, all right, dope. So maybe not an earthquake, but it's a very quick shun, right? I don't know what you're facing. But if we're looking at Paul as an example, if we're revisiting this passage to think, why does this matter to me? Then we look at that, and I think, I don't want to stop. I don't want to let anything stop me. I want to look at the enemy and say, oh, earthquake, we got you. Prison, earthquake trumps prison in God's book. The enemy cannot stand against the Lord of the earth, the creator of the world, the savior of our souls. I want to be someone who looks at the enemy and says, I tell you not today. And I pick up my stuff and I go to the next town and I don't let anything stop me. When I'm looking at Paul as an example, I'm like, oh, okay. I'm taking notes, Paul. I see you. You don't ever stop, do you? In fact, you got mobbed out of a city right after you got earthquake out of a city, and then you went to another city. I'm telling you again, in my most vulnerable moment, man, I'm like, can I have a day off? Can I just like chill for a second? I just need like a drink and some french fries or something, like some soda or something. He doesn't stop, he doesn't let anything stop him from chasing after God's will in his life. A couple weeks ago, Pastor John used God's desired outcome instead of God's will, kind of the same phrase, nothing stops Paul from chasing after God's desired outcome in his life, and you know what, this is what something, Pastor John said this a couple weeks ago, he said, it was God's desired outcome that Paul and Silas would go to jail, all right, so if I'm looking at Paul as an example, I'm thinking, all right, Lord, I'm willing, whatever you got for me, I'm going to say that, And and the flesh in me is like, do we mean that, And the spirit in me is like, yes, we do. Whatever you have, Lord, I am willing. I'm not gonna let anything stop me because I have you on my side. Here's the other thing I love about Paul is he brings people with him. We start to have this discussion about having a personal relationship with Jesus and having this particular thing, God's will for our life. And I don't know about you, but I start to hear that and it sounds like lonely, it sounds like isolated, it sounds like I probably have to do this by myself. If it's, if it's God's will for my life, then, like, I, it's very personal. It's my life. Here's what I love about Paul is Paul's got Silas. He's got Timothy. And I think about their time in the prison. I'm telling you right now, if I got thrown into prison for doing something the Lord had asked me to do, and I was by myself, I probably would be talking to the Lord, but I would be yelling or very upset or, you better be getting me out of here. But what I love is that Paul and Silas together are actually singing songs of praise. When we tune into the scriptures and we start reading the story, it's like the camera lands on Paul and Silas in jail and they're singing. They're singing praises to God. What does it look like when we do life together? It looks like instead of grumpy yelling at God, we're praising him in the midst of hardships. Paul is not an example of having to do it alone. Paul is an example of community. Silas and Timothy They do it together, they support one another, they sing in the prison together. If I'm revisiting this passage and I'm saying, all right, Lord, what can I take away from here? What's the draw here? What am I supposed to be learning here? How can I take this and go to the future? Man, I don't wanna do it alone. I wanna surround myself with people who are also chasing after God's desired outcome in their life so that we can link arms together and do it together. So what does that look like? It means maybe you start going where the non-believers are. Maybe you just identify where the non-believers are. I spent half my life in private school. I didn't know where the non-believers were. My whole life was believers. I went to church and I went to private school. I didn't know where the non-believers were. Maybe your first action step is identifying where the non-believers are. Maybe your first action step is identifying where the enemy is trying to be at work and telling him, no, not today. Nothing's going to stop me. Maybe your first action step is linking arms with someone who you do life with and saying, we're gonna do God's desired outcome together. The reason why it's important, why this passage matters to us is because Paul is a doer of the word. The second reason is this. Is that because the Thessalonians and the Bereans are hearers of the word. So like I said in that passage in James, it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. That implies that we have to hear in order to do. Are you tracking with me? Okay. So the second reason why this passage matters is because the Thessalonians and the Bereans paint two very different examples of what it looks like to be a hearer of the word. Go back to verse two and three. It says this of the Thessalonians. It says, um, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. I don't know about you, but have you ever had to explain or prove something to someone? It's really easy, right? You just say it one time and it totally makes sense and everyone leaves. (laughs) Yeah, no. Explaining and proving. Here's the posture I believe the Thessalonians were most likely taking. Prove it to me, Paul. Prove it. Prove it. Prove it to me, Paul. It says proving and reasoning with them and explaining to them. That sounds like a lot of work. Maybe that's why it took him three Sabbath days, right? But then bop over to verse 11 about the Bereans. It says now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So if this is the Thessalonians, here's how I picture the Bereans. In fact, I begin to picture them with like highlighters behind their ears and like commentaries and books open. And then again, I remember that this was a long, long time ago, so maybe no commentaries, probably not a highlighter. But whatever material that they had, whatever scripture they could get their hands on, I would like to believe that some of them had little pieces of scrap scroll and were writing notes. And I think about the difference between a Thessalonian and a Berean. And I think about if if we're looking at this to revisit it and say, why does this matter to me? I'll tell you what, in my most honest moment, I probably often look like a Thessalonian. And in my truest and deepest desire, I want to look like a Berean. So when we look back at this, I think, man, I often come to church and I'll cross my arms, maybe not physically, but I'll cross my arms and I'll like, all right, pastor, prove it to me. Walk me through. Teach me what's going on here. I don't know about that. Mm, I don't know about that. Maybe jot down a note or two, but mainly because you're like, I don't know, I don't think he proved that right or she proved that right to me. Or we could be people who show up not even just to church, but just show up in our lives to be hearers of the word. Books open, commentaries open, a journal with a hundred questions of, I don't understand, but I want to. I don't get this, but I'm desiring to. Man, what would it look like if we uncrossed our arms and begin to open some books, and we said, you know what, I'm actually gonna read the passage before pastor preaches it, because I have some questions. Maybe they'll answer some of my questions, and if they don't, maybe I'm gonna reach out to someone who I know also studies scripture. Maybe we can talk about it together. Here's what I love about the Bereans is it says, they examine the scripture daily to see if what Paul said was true. Okay, all right, I'm I'm listening, I'm taking notes. Okay, so that means I probably need to know what's already going on in the Bible so that I can ask good questions. It doesn't mean I have to know everything, but man, it means I could buy a journal and start writing down some questions like, I, if I'm being honest, this word doesn't really make sense to me. I'm not stupid, but this word doesn't make sense to me. Or why, is, wh- why are they mentioning this right now? I'll tell you what, I went to school, I have a degree in Bible, and I have a lot of questions still. So if you're like, I don't know, Pastor Lowe, like, I probably have a lot of questions. That's fine, so do I. I studied it, I have a degree in it, I still have a lot of questions. There's a lot of things God does that don't make sense to my logical brain. And that's okay, he promises peace that surpasses understanding, and boy, I grip that. Because it doesn't always make sense to me. But when I look at this passage and I'm like, okay, why does this matter to me? And I look at the Thessalonians and I look at the Bereans, I'm like, oh, Jesus, please help me uncross my arms and walk more towards looking like a Berean than looking like a Thessalonian. Here's the best part don't get discouraged. In both places, people came to know Jesus. This is not a guilt, shame on you message. This is a what if we changed our posture? What if we changed our approach? And you're like, well, Pastor Lo, I don't know how to do that. Okay, open your Bible, read it. Write down some questions. Tomorrow, open your Bible, read it. Write down some questions. Tuesday, open your Bible, read it. Write down some questions, come on. One day at a time, you don't have to be perfect. The goal here is not perfection, in fact perfection is not mentioned anywhere in this passage. The goal here is to change our posture so that we can be really good hearers, so that we can hear what we're supposed to be doing. James 1.22, let me remind you again, it says this, it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, hearers and doers, they go together. When we hear, we do, when we hear, we do, when we hear, we do, if we do without hearing, we're in trouble, and if we only hear, we are deceiving ourselves. We hear we do, we hear we do, we hear we do. So, all right, all right, Pastor Lou, I got a lot of questions. Cool, so do I. Let's have coffee. Cool, so does probably everybody in here. Let's do life together. Let's start asking each other questions. Hey, you know, I totally don't understand this. Did you read Genesis chapter 14? There's a lot of stuff going on here. Somebody talk to me here. Anybody tried to read Leviticus lately? I don't know, I got some questions. That's okay. That's okay, but it's because we have changed our posture to look like this. Highlighter in ear, ready and eager and excited. And then we're examining scripture every day to see if what is being said is true. Why does this matter to me? Because I'm getting a posture check myself. Like I said, man, I often would find myself looking like a Thessalonian. I want to look like a Berean. The third thing is this. is Why does this matter to us? Because it turned the world upside down. <clears throat> If you read this version or this passage in the ESV, verse 6 says, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. These are the sandaled men talking. And here's what I think that they were probably trying to be offensive. These men have turned the world upside down. Again, we're going to go back into my brain. It's kind of scary. It feels a little bit like chaos to me. Upside down means everything is not where it's supposed to be. It starts to feel like chaos. I think that sandaled man was like, That's right. They turned the world upside down. What a great insult. I read that and I'm like, they turned the world upside down. They turned the world upside down. I'll tell you a story about myself. I went on my very first cross ocean mission trip when I was 13 years old. I flew um, to Ecuador in South America. I knew that I knew that I knew that it was the will of God that I would go on this trip. It changed my life. Probably one of the most impacting things I did as a young person. Flew across the country, or flew across the world to Ecuador, and I got there. I'm on a team of a bunch of 13 and 14 and 15-year-olds. Bless my children's pastor that took us, right? So we're on this team, and I I remember a lot. I could tell you stories and stories and stories about my time in Ecuador, but I remember there was this one day we woke up, and she said, all right, we're going to a high school today, which was interesting because we had gone to go to churches, to go to a four-square conference, and to go to some orphanages. We were sponsoring orphans at the time and we had gone to their orphanage. So it was odd that she woke up and she said, we're going to a high school today. I need someone to volunteer to tell their testimony. So me being the very shy and reserved person that I am. (laughs) No, I immediately was like, me, let me tell my story. I'm 13, I haven't experienced a whole lot in my life, but I'm like, let me tell my story, Pastor Ray, come on because I had this unshakable faith within me. I knew I was supposed to go to Ecuador and I knew when I went to Ecuador that I was gonna be able to bring the truth of Jesus like I had been doing in the States. I was gonna be able to bring it to people my own age. I was so excited, I was like pick me, pick me, pick me and nobody else volunteered so it was me. (laughs) I don't remember much about being at the high school. I remember it being like a lot of chairs like this but like five times four back. So there was just like a lot of people, it was like three or 400 high schoolers. I was 13 so I was like the same height I am now. That was funny, but it's not funny. It's fine. It doesn't have to be funny, it's fine. (laughs) So I get up there and I remember I was so excited because I was like, you know what? I learned seventh grade Spanish. I got this. I'm gonna greet them in Spanish. I was so excited. And here's the two things that I remember from that day is I greeted them in Spanish and then I poured my heart out because I believed with this unshakable faith within me that the good news that I have could be given to other people I had been doing it in the States, but I knew that I knew that I knew that I was supposed to go across the world and do it at this high school, do it in this country. And so I did, and I remember that afterwards, a couple of them came up and told me that my Spanish was really bad, and I was like, ha ah, okay, anything else? No, okay. My Spanish was probably really bad, but I remember that I just, it felt like when you take a can of soda and you just shake it up. I, would, I couldn't contain myself. I gotta tell them about Jesus. I got to tell, tell them about Jesus. I got to tell my 13-year-old story. I got I to tell them. I got to tell him how good Jesus has been to me. I got to tell them what Jesus can do for them. And it was like someone had shaken me up and just poof, in front of everybody. Luckily, that's not actually what happened. Nobody got sticky and gross. But man, it was like every time for the next days in Ecuador, every day it woke up and I felt like that. Like I just had this bubbling, unshakable faith. And I remember... As part of my way to get to Ecuador, I didn't go on the eighth grade trip that year. So I came home from Ecuador, and a couple weeks later, I got to go back to school. We went in the summer, and I got to go back to school, and I had this really obnoxious, like, beaded, colored necklace that I had bought, and this, like, Ecuador jersey, and these, like, Ecuador pants, and these Ecuador bracelets, and I was like, whoa, Ecuador! I was so pumped! So I go back to school, and I remember just being like, I'm going to tell all my friends. I'm going to tell them what happened. I'm going to tell them about Jesus, too was at public school at this point, and so I get back, and I'm like, guys, guess what? And they're like, what, Lauren? Like, I went to Ecuador, and I? And they're like, you went to Ecuador? Cool, where'd you go? I'm like, oh, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. I got to stand in front of them. He's like, okay, so, but did you see, like, the Galapagos Islands? And I'm like, I went to Ecuador, and I stood in front of a bunch of high schoolers, and I got to tell them about Jesus. And they're like, oh, all right. And that was it. Nobody else wanted to hear about all my cool stories in Ecuador about the orphanages or the conference or anything. They were like, oh, okay, all right, great, it's cool. We all went to D.C. without you. So we're over here and have fun with your Ecuador get up. And I remember that it was like every day that someone had just left the lid open a little bit and that those bubbles within me just started to deflate a little bit. And I tell that story because here's what I believe Paul is experiencing right now is that unshakable faith. He's got all the carbonation going wild and he's turning the world upside down. Little 13 year old me had the belief that I could turn the world upside down for Jesus and a bunch of naysayers and a bunch of people who didn't love Jesus, they, they deflated me. I let them deflate me. I didn't know how to keep up my carbonation and so I was like, okay, yeah, maybe it wasn't that cool. All right, yeah, I mean like this is my Ecuador bracelet. And it, every day, and I look back in hindsight now that I'm older, and I can see that what was once an exploding can of soda turned into like, mm, I mean, if you wanna hear about Jesus, I'll tell you, I'm, only, only if you want to. Did you ask about my bracelet? Oh, oh, if, you're, oh if you're asking about my bracelet, then, then, and it would kind of bubble up, in the, but someone would be like, no, no, we don't care. Okay, all right, and I watched it deflate, and here's why I think it matters that we revisit this passage to take hold of the future is that Paul proves to us we can all have an unshakable faith. And so I think that there's some of you in this room who would say, Pastor Lo, I've never actually experienced what you're talking about. I don't know that I've ever been in a place where I feel like I'm gonna explode with excitement that I can do all that Jesus has asked me to do. And that's okay. You can ask the Lord, 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 bring me to that point of unshakable faith. Bring me to that point. And I think there's a lot of you in this room that feel the same way I do, really deflated. Someone popped the top off and just let all the carbonation go out. You believe, you come to church, you're around believers, you're like, oh yeah, that's right, yes. And you walk out the door back into the world and you're like, oh, they don't care. They're mean. They don't ask me about that. What does it look like to take an action step from there? It looks like asking the Lord to shake us up again, to keep us shaken up. I think about how beautiful it is that last week was Easter. Man, I love Easter Sunday. I love it because we get to praise and worship because the energy in a room like this is palpable on Easter Sunday. It's so exciting. Everyone's pumped. Everyone brings their friends. Everyone wears fun, cute clothes. We do hype songs. There's donuts. It's awesome. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but I spend the weeks leading up to Easter, I begin to tap back into the good news. I'm like, oh, that's right. Not that I ever forget, but I sometimes need a, a good reminder. And so I come to Good Friday service and I remember that we're mourning that we have to we have to live in the fact that we don't know that he's rising again yet, right? We, we sit in that on Friday. And then we actually do know that he's rising again. So we come to Sunday and we're like, yes! I don't know, I'm going to be really honest with you. It's really easy to get hyped and have the good news at the forefront of my brain during Easter season. But a lot like 13-year-old Lauren, it's really easy if after Easter is over to kind of deflate a little bit. It's good news. And man, when I'm around people who believe it, yeah, it's good news. What would it look like if we became people who kept the good news at the forefront of our brain? It is good news. I have to get myself hyped a little bit. It is good news. He came and he died on the cross for our sins and then he beat death so that we don't ever have to. He paid the price for my sins. What does that look like for me? It feels like freedom from the weight I put on myself when I do something wrong. What does it look like for other people? It looks like worthiness. It looks like telling people that they're loved, that they're cared about, that they were created on purpose, that they can do something with their life beyond just feel the weight of the world. He came so that we may have life and have it more abundantly. This is the good news, I gotta stir it up in my soul, I gotta shake up my soda bottle. And I want to shake it up every single day because Paul gives me the example that we can turn the world upside down. What would it look like if we became hearers and doers of the word with an unshakable faith that could turn the world upside down? And maybe some of you are thinking, oh, I'm, oh, you're a pastor, you can do that. No, you can do that. This is not, James one twenty two. is not, oh, pastors, be doers and hearers of the word. It doesn't label us like that. No, no, we all get to be doers and hearers of the word. I don't say this because I think it's fake. I say it because I'm seeing it in the lives of people. I'm seeing young people's bottles be shaken for the first time, and it's so cool. It's so cool, and there's nothing special about them. They didn't do this formulaic thing that makes it so that their soda bottle is shakable. There's no reason you can disqualify yourself today. We all have the opportunity to be hearers of the word and doers of the word and we can ask the Lord for an unshakable faith that can turn the world upside down. Here's what I legitimately and truly believe about us is that if we would take one step today into being hearers, if we would take one step today into being doers, if we would take one step today into being, having that unshakable faith again, I actually really truly believe we could turn Simi Valley upside down And not we, like, way to go, Lauren. We, like, way to go, God. I'm just your vessel, your desired outcome in my life. I'm going to invite the worship team up, and we're going to sing one more song. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You can sit here today, and you can say, cool, nice message, Pastor Lo. Way to go. We love the book of Acts. The whole purpose of resurgence of this whole series, of this whole study on the book of Acts is that we would be woken up to this reality, that we can study this and we can put it to action in our lives. We can actually put it into action in our lives. It doesn't have to be so complicated. You don't have to do it all at once. You take one baby step. I'm an example person, so what does that look like? Opening your Bible every day and just trying to be a hearer reaching out to that neighbor that you know doesn't love Jesus and just saying hello. I'm not telling you that you gotta get the gospel track and you gotta walk over there and you gotta, I mean, save them right now today. Just one step into doing, one step into hearing, a turn to the Lord that says, shake my faith up again. One step. What is your action step? We're gonna sing another song, but here's what I want you to do. We've been blessed with this beautiful space. So I want you to take space. If you're a person that wants to stand, if you're a person that wants to come kneel, if you wanna sit in your chair, that's awesome. If you need to talk to somebody, do it. But here's my challenge to you today. What is your action step? What is your one action step? I'm gonna tell you mine, because here's what I believe is, I believe that accountability keeps us in motion. So here's my action step. I know two people who live in Simi Valley, who work at places that I frequent who don't know Jesus. My one action step this week is to be intentional about seeing them both face-to-face and just bridging that relationship. I'm not walking in Bibles ablazing, mic-dropping. I'm gonna go like Paul did. I'm gonna reason with them. I'm gonna spend time with them. I'm gonna get to know what they like and what they don't like. And not like it's manipulative, but because I wanna build a relationship because I believe the good news is for them. That's my action step today. I want you guys to take a minute. We're gonna sing a song. I'm gonna come back up and pray for us afterward. What is your action step? Is it being a doer? Is it being a hearer? Is it shaking up your faith? Ask the Lord today, Lord, show me what my action step is. I feel like there's some of you in this room who would say, you know what, Pastor Lill, like I I don't hear the voice of God. You're asking me to ask for an action step, but I don't hear the voice of God. First of all, you absolutely can hear the voice of God. There's no disqualifier for someone who is able to hear the voice of God and who is not. So I would encourage you to keep contending and keep pressing in. But here's what I also know is that this is the word of God. This is the voice of God. And so if you are not sure and you don't feel like anything magically dropped in, like a practical action step today, I would encourage you to begin to read your word. And the word will tell you what it looks like to be a doer of the word we can actually hear and we can hear through reading the scripture. And so if you're discouraged this morning and you say, I don't know, I didn't hear anything. man, begin to read your Bible and ask the Lord to reveal it to you through scripture. We pray, Jesus, would you awake our souls, Jesus? God, we're crazy enough to believe that you can turn the world upside down through us and we will not stop until we see that happen. would you show us how to change our posture to be hearers of the word? Lord, studying your word and examining it and taking good notes, asking good questions, talking with other people, seeking knowledge. God, would you teach us what it looks like to be hearers of the word? God, would you show us what it looks like to be doers of the word thank you for paul as an example but god would you give us practical steps of what that looks like for us today what do you want us to do god awake our souls show us what you want us to do god show us how to link arms with people and go together god reveal to us who those people are who are our silas and our timothy god teach us we are ready our ears are open god we're listening We contend and we believe that we will see you change our world upside down. God, would you do it in us? Would you resurge us? Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.